Pints with Jack, Season 3, Episode 43. After Hours with The Tolkien Road. Good morning. Welcome to Pints with Jack, a podcast where two enthusiastic C.S. Lewis amateurs get together, share a beverage, and discuss a work of C.S. Lewis. This season we read Till We Have Faces. However, July is Tolkien month here on Pints with Jack, so we're discussing all things Tolkien, and today we're talking with John and Greta Carswell from the Tolkien Road podcast. Uh, I've been a listener to their podcast for quite some time, and in fact, listeners might recall me mentioning them back in season two. Now, as I said before, each of our guests this month are going to be focusing on a different aspect of Tolkien's life and work. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Silmarillion. And this is great because this Easter, I began reading the Silmarillion for the first time. And while it definitely contains some gorgeous writing, uh, I will already admit that it's not really the easiest of reads. So I'm really looking forward to what John and Greta are going to have to offer uh, to help motivate us to read this great work and to get the most out of it. But first of all, a little bit about my guests and their podcast. The Tolkien Road podcast was launched in early 2015. On the show, co-hosts John and Greta Carswell journey chapter by chapter through The Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion, The Hobbit, as well as Tolkien's other works, often with the help of a few haikus. John has written several books about Tolkien. He's the author of Tolkien's Overture, an exploration into Middle-earth's creation story, and the role of music in Tolkien's tales. And he has also written Tolkien's Requiem, which is a contemplative journey through Tolkien's most personal and pivotal Middle-earth tale, the story of Beren and Luthien. And since I've mentioned that they're lovers of haikus, I thought I would write one for the occasion. John, Greta, David. An unexpected party. Three is company. John and Greta, welcome to Pints with Jack. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks for having us on. Great haiku. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I only re realized it a couple of days ago. I was like, I have to write a haiku to welcome them. <laughs> this is clearly how this, this couple communicates. This is clearly their love language. All, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, we did... We go through phases where we do the haiku on the podcast and then we stop doing it. And then people write in, they're like, why aren't you doing the haiku anymore? <laughs> and, it, and it's funny. It feels like the, the haiku is kind of a divisive thing. Like people either love it or they hate it. Like there's no middle ground. We've got lots of love letters and lots of hate letters about the haiku. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Well, I loved it. Good. Well, <laughs> awesome. And that's why I stole clearly. it for season two of our, of our podcast. I think that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. Imitation is the finest form of flattery. So exactly. Yeah. So today I'm drinking some PG Tips tea. Are you guys drinking anything? Some high quality H2O for me. I, I got some Lacroix, <laughs> some it's, peach pear Lacroix. It's already uh, it's it's already a little afternoon where we are, so the the coffee has already been had for the day. So. <laughs> uh, and, and Greta, on this mm -hmm. podcast, we call it La Croix. Oh. Because. We're, we're classy like that. that I like that. La Croix. Well, that's, we, that's better. I we, like that. We live in the South in, uh, in Tennessee. So. <laughs> so we usually call it La Crux. We don't La do Crux. none of that fancy talk around here. <laughs> but David, I want to know, what is PG Tips Tea? I've never, I've never heard of that. So it's a black tea, and okay. it is probably one of the most standard teas that you'll get in England. You'll have PG Tips, Tetley, and Yorkshire Gold. Those are the three common approved black teas. Okay, right. so PG is the brand. Yes, but PG tip, PG Tips is the name. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. I have to try that sometime. Yes, 
I will say my my favorite tea, if I were drinking tea, would be Lady Grey. I love the Lady Grey teas. Lady Grey is very nice. Yes. Now, do you have it with milk or do you have it with lemon or just plain? I usually just have a little bit of honey. Okay. Usually. I know. <laughs> I, I, I will allow it. Next next time, next time for me. David's dying inside okay. right try now. Try some so. lemon. <laughs> some lemon. I've never yeah. tried lemon. Just a little squeeze of lemon. Fresh lemon. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, if I'm having a hot toddy, I would definitely, definitely put lemon in that. <laughs> but if it's just straight tea, I'll have to try that. So just lemon, no honey or anything. You, you can add it if you want to sweeten it a little bit. But okay. I, would, I would just suggest just trying it with a little bit of lemon. I love a lemon. Both okay. Lady Grey and Earl Grey. Both okay. of those work. Okay. That works. I'll do that. I will do that and I'll report back. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and now that we've got the drink of the week covered, let's uh, do the quote of the week. And I figured since I'm speaking with the guys from the Tolkien Road, that the quote of the week would have to relate to roads somehow. So I chose this section from Mere Christianity. If you are on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. And in that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive man. Brilliant. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. And in each episode, we toast a Patreon supporter, and today we're toasting Daniel Quintero. So, Daniel, since we are talking about roads, may you have the hindsight to know where you've been, the foresight to know where you're going, and the insight to know when you've gone too far. Cheers. 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 Okay, so to kick things off, uh, can you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourselves? Sure. Um... So my so I'm this is John speaking. <laughs> the masculine voice you are hearing. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no confusion. So uh, Greta and I have been married for. Uh, oops, I should have thought of, done the math before. I, it's mm-hmm. 18 years, almost, almost 18 years. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is 2020, so 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three kids, and we live in Franklin, Tennessee, which is a um, which is a kind of a suburban community just south of Nashville. So, what, what do you want to add? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Yeah. Everything that you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus we love Tolkien uh, and I, I love to read. I love Lewis. Yeah. Um, we do. I, we do love C.S. Lewis. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis is really my, my first love when it comes to writers, um, uh, without a doubt. So, uh, in fact, from a young age, he played a pivotal role with the, this, the line, the witch in the wardrobe played a pivotal role in, my becoming kind of self-consciously becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ when I was just a little kid uh, through the influence of my parents reading that story to me. And uh, so uh, he will always be near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And obviously you love Lewis, uh, but when did you first discover Tolkien? Well, I first discovered Tolkien uh, probably, I think I was in middle school. So that's probably the early nineties at some point. And I think my, my dad um, saw me playing too many video games one summer and was like, you're going to read a book and do a book report this summer. And so he had me read the Hobbit and, and then I did a book report on the Hobbit, I guess I have no memory of what the book report actually consisted of. And honestly, I did not fall head over heels for Tolkien at that time. I mean, I think I enjoyed reading the book, but I don't really think it grabbed me at that point. It wasn't until the movies came out, the Peter Jackson movies came out in the early 2000s that that all changed. And I remember going to see, I'd heard a lot of people talking about how great Lord of the Rings was. 
And I'd even heard people saying like, it's the greatest novel of the 20th century and these sorts of things. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, and, and, you know, and, and being a Christian myself, I was intrigued to learn that Tolkien himself was a, was a Christian and that it was a very, you know, his Christianity was very influential in Lord of the Rings. So then I went to see Fellowship of the Ring in the theaters and I fell in love. I mean, I just fell in love with this vision and, um, and I had to read, go and then read Lord of the Rings. So between when Fellowship of the Ring came out and the, and when the two towers came out the next year, I had read Lord of the Rings twice, I think. Um, Wow. So, and I just, I just fell in love with Tolkien, um, through that experience. So no matter how you feel about the Jackson movies, uh, I have to salute Peter Jackson for giving us the movies he did because it, it contributed to me getting to the, the source material, which is, which changed my life in a big way. I absolutely love that because I have a very similar sort of story. I too was prompted by the movies from time to time. You do come across Tolkien nerds who get very sniffy about the fact that there are movies at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's even before they pointed out the Faramir is completely wrong. And where's Tom Bombadil? And uh, yeah, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that uh, somebody else also watched the movies, loved them, and that made them go to the books. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Greta? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this, and I, I can't quite remember when I uh, first discovered Tolkien. I think it, I think it must have been through John. I was, um, I was not a huge reader. Like, I thought reading was kind of lame when I was in high school, and I, I didn't even read some of the books I was supposed to read for <laughs> my <laughs> high school and college degrees but um but i think we started dating and you know he i think we may have gone to see one of the movies together i don't even really know the specifics but i i know i know that it was probably through him that um that i that you know he just really encouraged me and told me how great the books were and you should read these and then i know we went to see at least one of the movies together um if not more than that um but my, my favorite Tolkien memory is the night before our wedding, I, I could not sleep. I was, you know, like most brides, I was just kind of anxious and, you know, worried about the weather and make sure everything was going to go according to the plan or whatever. So I couldn't sleep. And um, my grandmother was in town. So I had been kicked out of my room and I was sharing a room with my youngest brother who also couldn't sleep because he had a he was playing a solo that I was going to walk down the aisle to on the trumpet the next morning. And so... We both, we both sat up and watched Fellowship of the Ring together on a, on our, you know, I think we had it on a computer or something. I can't remember, but, um, that's how we, we passed the night before my wedding day is watching Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. That is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, uh, so that, uh, probably had, you know, had a big role in, 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 uh, sparking my love for, for Tolkien and his works. So. And what actually is it about Tolkien that, that you love about his writing? <sighs> listen, listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, um, it's a great question. And um, I could really go on and on about it, but um, I'll just try to hit some of the high points. Um, I think the thing I sensed even when I saw the movies and then, and then read the books, read Lord of the Rings, was that there was, there was just this thing, like this depth to the work that I I couldn't get to the bottom of and but it was beautiful and it was it was enchanting and and it felt so real mm. and I just wanted to to get into that I I I was not um I was not Catholic at the time 
and I didn't really have a good under like a good understanding of like sacramental theology and that kind kind of thing. But now looking back, and for a long time, I've attributed I've attributed that quality to this sort of sacramental thing, right? That that Tolkien imbues his works with. Um, that that he's never he's never like on the nose in an allegorical fashion. In fact, he kind of repudiates the, the idea of writing stories like that. But everything in his works is imbued with deeper meaning and uh, the symbolism, even as he's just telling a story. And and it, they're just so rich. I mean, his stories are so rich. And and then on, on top of all of that, um, when you read his letters, you read some of his non-Middle-Earth works as well, um, especially a story like Leaf by Niggle. Um you just realize you 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 catch an even deeper glimpse of the heart of this man, and you just you love him. I mean, how can you not help but love this this man? So, um, I'm I'm just gushing at this point. I know, but <laughs> that's what I do when you talk when we get talking about Tolkien. So yeah, yeah, and I, I think probably the only thing I I could add to that that I personally love about Tolkien is um I just I love his I love the way he writes. Like I think um. You know, it's just like John said, it's just it's rich. Yes. But just the it's just beautiful. You know, I feel like sometimes I'm reading it and I just have to stop and just like take a moment and just let it, you know, just kind of marinate in his Mm -hmm. words, Um, because it's just, you know, just it was clear that he he knew the English language like very, very well. Um, and he knew his history of the English language very well. And he just, the way he puts it all together. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just beautiful. And, um, and not only is it beautiful, but it, it's just so real. Like you can just picture like where, where you, where he is and where he wants to take you. It's truly, you know, it truly transports you, um, to his, to the world that he created. Another thought that occurs to me is is you're talking, Greta, like and about his love of language is um I think I think in a way he's almost Tolkien himself in his in his own biography is an icon of of the of the most famous myth he created. In the sense that here he is just this kind of you know, for lack of a better term, mild mannered, you know, Oxford Don uh philologist a, a total language nerd from you know the i mean just you know knows languages that nobody knows it created his own languages and 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 what does he do you know just he oh nothing but wrote quite possibly the most popular book of the 20th century and actually two of the most popular books of the 20th century and and created this myth this mythology that has just enchanted millions if not hundreds of millions you know um and has affected the lives of so many people in a positive way. Um, and, you know, you think about, you kind of liken that to, you know, either Frodo or Bilbo or both, right? And, uh, you know, and, and how their little acts, these kind of mild-mannered little people um, who didn't seem that important at the time have changed the, you know, changed the lives of so many, of so many people, right? So, gushing again. Yeah. And all the while wearing snappy... <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Smoking a pipe and yeah, he's very imitatable. I feel like, like he's, yeah. I mean, I know we have a, um, John kind of, you know, uh, being Catholic and the communion of the saints, John says, I I believe Tolkien's a saint. 
And I, you know, I, I pray to him. Mm -hmm. And one Christmas, I actually, I found someone where you could get like a, you know, little devotion candle and it had St. Tolkien on it all in his, (laughs) (laughs) in his snap, you know, I mean, he's, I don't think he was, I think he had a pipe, but I don't know that he was wearing a waistcoat, but he looked a little bit more, you know, robed as the saints would be. But, um, but Yeah. yeah, he's, he's just had an incredible influence on, on John's life and then through John and me, so. I was I was walking I was walking through our uh, house preparing for a um, yeah, just just preparing for our own podcast episode this week and reading a little snippet from The Hobbit and on my Kindle version of The Hobbit it has a, the ability to listen to Tolkien reading some of the passages oh cool and and I started playing this for Greta and I was just like you know I mean I was just being a total nerd about it I was like how you know he's just he's just read you know it's just like this old recording of him reading a poem or something like that and. Yeah. And I'm just totally nerding out on it. Like, it's his voice. It's his voice. <laughs> he sounds so beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Indeed. I'll have to send you, someone sent me them a while back, but they were a series of, of icons. So done in the Byzantine style, but the characters mm-hmm. were characters from the Lord of the Rings. Oh, awesome. no way. That's, That's cool. so cool. I gotta say, Gandalf the White looks really good as an icon. Just saying. I bet he does. <laughs> I, I, I can, can dig see, that. I can see yeah. that. I can totally see that. Yeah. Awesome. So let's talk about your podcast and the books. So yeah. first of all, I always like asking people who started podcasts, well, what was it that, that sent you over the edge to actually sit down in front of a microphone, record something and put it up on the internet? Because it is mildly terrifying the first time you do that. Yeah. Well, f- for me, um, you know, I think it is something I, that for a long time I had wanted to maybe get into podcasting somehow. I, I had been listening to podcasts for a few years at that point. And, and it, you know, it's crazy to think five years ago, how, how much smaller podcasting was than it is now. And, um, and really it was a, it was a series of, um, of events that led to me getting into podcasting because, uh, I had finished a master's degree, um, in English literature and, the middle of 2014 and I had written my master's thesis on Tolkien. And, um, and so I, and then I'd written, I'd written another essay, uh, that I decided to turn into my first book, Tolkien's Requiem. And, and so I'm like, okay, maybe I just need to kind of journey down this road a little bit and see, you know, see if I can expand and just kind of turn this exploring Tolkien's works things into something, you know, something bigger than just kind of a hobby. And, um, and so I was like, I just said, hey, Greta, you want to start a podcast on Tolkien? And we were just take it one step at a time, take it one episode at a time and have fun with it. And um, but really, it was just the love of Tolkien and and like wanting to be connected with other people who love Tolkien and wanting to unpack some of the things that I myself was seeing in his works for other people and share those with other people. So, yeah, that was where it all where it all began. And yeah, I was, you know, when John came to me with the idea, I was, I was a bit flummoxed. I was like, where is this coming from? I mean, I like the books. I, you know, the movies are, you know, fun to watch, but a podcast, like it, it, the thought had never occurred to me. Um, and really, I think, um, I mean, I went into it just like, oh yeah, maybe we'll, we'll give this a whirl and maybe we'll do a few episodes and then he'll realize that this is just, you know. It's a, it was a fun phase and now we're done, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, yeah, we kind of got into it and, um, John realized that I made him look really smart because I 
didn't know a whole lot. That, that was the whole ploy from I the beginning. I just like, you'll make me look smart because you know less than I do. About right. It. He was like, well, I can't do this by myself because that will just be boring and lectures just, you know, people don't really respond to that in the same way they respond to discussion. And I've since discovered know. that you can actually do that okay. Like you can actually, if you're good at it. But, if you're you good know, at but it. But it actually, I think, I think most of the podcasts I like listening to are at least one person in general. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, um, oh, oh, the, the thing that there were already some Tolkien podcasts, um, that existed at that time. And the thing that the niche that I wanted to go into was, I felt like there was a lot that were like, okay, we're going to look at like half of, you know, the Hobbit. And then we're going to look at the other half of the Hobbit on the next episode. And my thing was, I felt like Tolkien's works were so rich that they deserved a very close read, like a super close read. And so we're like, we're going to go, we're not going to do more than one chapter at a time on this podcast. And, and even in that, like, even in there, like there's some chapters we end up spending two or three episodes on because there's so much detail and so much to consider. And even then I feel like we didn't do it justice. (laughs) Um, But the idea is, um, is to just, our, our kind of tagline is a long walk through middle earth. So we're just take, taking the time to stop and smell the flowers in every chapter. And um, because that's the kind of world Tolkien created, it's so detailed and rich and wonderful. Yeah. We have our fair share of rabbit trails too, as you've probably <laughs> noticed. But, but I can't help but think that Tolkien would approve of that as well. Yeah. I'm sure they had plenty of rabbit trails in the Inklings meetings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can only yeah, imagine. But yeah, our, our podcast right. started in a very similar sort of way because Matt and I began a book club for C.S. Lewis and, you know, we're meeting once a month, so you have to do chunks of books at a time. And so we read one book of, I mean, Christianity is made up of four books. And so we read one book each month. And the discussion lasted usually about an hour, hour and a half, something like that. And at the end of it, I was going, there's so much more I wanted to say. We, did, we just skated <laughs> yeah. over that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because I, I was looking at your podcast and, I know you typically go chapter by chapter mm-hmm. as well with yeah. the works that you cover. Yeah. We picked it up a little bit with Till We Have Faces to do them two chapters at a time. Okay. Because uh, it, it's really tough with this sort of thing. It's like when you're studying a difficult book of the Bible. It, in some ways, it helps to go more slowly because you're more careful over the words. You have things very clear in your mind. But at the other, at the same time, sometimes it helps to actually pick up the pace a little bit. So you get the entire picture and you don't get lost with, among the weeds. So we, we made that judgment call for Till We Have Faces. And we might do it again for the, the fictional works. But yeah, by and large, a nice slow read as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and that was going to lead me on to my next question, actually, because what was the, what, what is it that you would say, how has your understanding of Tolkien and his works changed by doing it this way? Because it's not normal. It's not normal to read a book this slowly. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well... Um, one thing I'd say first and foremost is with all the different people that we've gotten to know through this effort over the years, um, I've like met so many, I have realized how, what, what a like small fish I am in the pond of like knowing stuff about Tolkien, like no, like Tolkien knowledge. And I, I certainly know more than your average, like Tolkien fan, but there's people out there that they no Tolkien, like, yeah, I mean, like nobody's business. It's, it's incredible. And so we've met a lot of people who have been studying Tolkien since before we were born. 
and, you know, have been like, I mean, at a college level, you know, teaching courses and people that know his languages and it's, it's really, I mean, that part of it itself is fascinating. Um, so just the, the devotion he inspires in so many different ways to his works and the world he created is, uh, is incredible. Um, I think just going through on a, you know, on this very deliberate close reading basis too, has just allowed us to pick up on a lot of detail that we might otherwise might've missed too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I'd say on that. What about you? Well, I mean, as someone who really, you know, like I shared before, hadn't spent much time at all studying Tolkien. I mean, I read the books, I'd read the, I'd read the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. That's it. Um, so I mean, I feel like I've just like, um, yeah, my, my, my knowledge has quadrupled like times 10. I mean, like it's, um, (laughs) I didn't know that there was a word for that, but I mean, I feel like I've, you know, I've gone from just very kind of surface, you know, kind of common knowledge to, I mean, I've just learned so much through, um, through just the different, like, I didn't even know that he had written things other than the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. which I'm a little embarrassed to say, but, um, but you know, I mean, like you mentioned Leaf by Niggle and then we've, you know, of course reading the Silmarillion and, um, you know, that, that's when I felt like I'd really arrived was after I, I could say I, I'd read the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I, I just, um, I've gone from zero to 60, I guess. Like I just, um, I've just, I've learned a ton and I can, I still can't pronounce things nearly as well as you can Mm -hmm. when it comes to the places and people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I I would not be where I am today if it weren't for, for being his co-host. That's for sure. When it comes to Tolkien. We also started out doing the Silmarillion first on the podcast, which was maybe um, old. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it was putting it nicely. (laughs) But my thought was, well, it was the one it's, it comes first chronologically. And, um, of course we're, we're, we we have a little bit of a problem with the uh, shiny object syndrome, so it's hard for us to you know over like one of the challenges of doing a chapter by chapter approach is you, at some point you're like, all right, here we are, twenty episodes in, and we've only done like half of the Silmarillion, and mm-hmm. I'd really like to get to the Lord of the Rings at some point. So we like took a break and would do like you know long stretches of Lord of the Rings and then come back to the Silmarillion. Um, of course, now we've done all the main works of of Middle Earth at this point, um, but the other thing I think doing it that way allowed us to do was really once we got to Lord of the Rings, just see a lot of the, the connection between the stories of the first age and the, and, and the third age, like understand more of the references, the passing mm-hmm. references that Tolkien mm-hmm. will make to things yeah. in Lord of the Rings. And then you're like, Oh, that's who Baron and Luthien are, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, that's what Thangorodrim is like, you know, all mm-hmm. these, all these sorts of things. Yeah. It's like when you, you know, when you read the Bible and, and you know, the old Testament really well, and then you, you can get like all the references in the new Testament that, you know, that are referring back to the old Testament. That's how I feel like it was when, after we got through the Silmarillion and we're, we just started, um, our, our, our children, unfortunately are, um, not latched on to Tolkien the way we would have liked. Of course to. they're not because their dad's a Tolkien. They're, they're all about they're right now. Um, it's Harry Potter. Like they are yeah. just, they, you, they cannot get enough Harry Potter, um, which is a start, I guess. But, uh, so we're, we've, John's been reading fellowship out loud to, uh, we're doing a family read aloud of fellowship and even just listening, like, even though I've read the books twice now, just hearing him read, I'm like, Oh, I know that name from, you know, 
from this story in the Silmarillion or, you know, it just, the Silmarillion really does like broaden your understanding of, of just the whole, um, of the whole world that he created and how everything fits together. I think that's been really what I've really appreciated about reading so many more of these of, of Tolkien stuff is you just see how it's all interconnected. Um, and he had, you know, his, his, the way he, the way he worked it all together is just, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. The analogy with the old Testament and, and understanding Jesus, uh, is a really, is a really good one because, um, in the course of teaching a class on the gospels this year, um, for a high school class, I, you know, I, I've learned a lot about how, you know, a lot of the references that Christ will make to himself reference, um, reference the old Testament. If you don't have grounding in what you know, like even something like the son of man, like, and how that, mm-hmm. like, that's not just some random thing he came up with. That was a old Testament tradition that he's referencing and it helps illuminate what he's claiming about himself. Um, and so it enriches your understanding of, of who Jesus is and how he was presenting himself to the world. And so it's the same thing with Lord of the Rings. Like when you have this knowledge of the first age, it enriches, you know, your understanding of the work that we all love, which is Lord of the Rings and and The Hobbit as well. It actually does enrich The Hobbit as well. It places the story inside a a larger, greater story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And speaking of stories and books, uh, John, you wrote two books about Tolkien. Yes. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about them, please? I'd love to. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So... The first book I wrote was uh, is called Tolkien's Requiem uh, concerning Baron and Luthien, and so this was the book that I referred to um, that I had I'd written an, an essay as part of my master's degree work on this particular story, and and so I decided to kind of expand on that and um, and then turn it into my first book. It was just kind of a little like let's see if I can do this myself, if I can make a book right, and then actually bring it to market and all those kinds of things, um, but it's. It, it's really a, um, a an exposition of the story of Baron and Luthien, which is chapter nineteen of the Silmarillion, and and is actually a story that is referenced uh, multiple times in the Lord of the Rings, and it was one of Tolkien's most important stories, one of his most personal stories too. The interesting fact is that if you visit his gravesite in uh, in England, then you'll see that. On the grave, it, he and his wife share a gravesite, and on the tombstone it reads, um, "Baron and Luthien." Right, mm. so Baron for him and Luthien for Edith, his wife. <clears throat> so you can see that this story meant something to him on a personal level as well, but it's also a very important story in the history of Middle Earth. So I really wanted to explore that story, and the thought also was, um, here it is sitting in chapter nineteen, but this is like the best, the best part of the Silmarillion. Right. And so you have to like wade through all this stuff and there's other good stuff. There's definitely other good stuff, but that's one of the challenges of the Silmarillion is you have to wade through a lot that just, you have no reference point for, and it's, and it's kind of old Testament-y. And then you finally come upon these really great stories like Baron and Luthien. And, and all of a sudden, by the way, you, you like Sauron's and, in the story of Baron and Luthien, you're like, Oh, I know Sauron. Finally, somebody <laughs> I know. Right. Um, and, uh, and in fact, it's like the best example of Sauron being, being bad, right? You know, like he's, he's, he's not just the shadow. He's, he's an actual actor in the story. And, um, so, uh, so anyway, I wanted to write this book and the thought was maybe this will also be a way that if people find it be challenging to just pick up the Silmarillion and start reading it, which a lot of people do, maybe this book can help people 
like start with the story. And so I try to connect some of the other stories from the Silmarillion to the, to Baron and Luthien because it does all connect. And, um, and, and maybe, maybe provide, maybe provide a back door for people who have trouble going in through the front door, you know, uh, <laughs> into the, into the Silmarillion. And then the other store, the other book is Tolkien's overture concerning the music of the Ainur. And this story is, looks at, uh, Ainu Lindale, which is the first chapter um, of the Silmarillion, the book, the book that we have as the Silmarillion, and it's the creation story of Middle Earth, and it's basically this. Um, what do you, you know? How should I refer to it? Co- I think the term is cosmogonical um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, myth, right? That tells. It's kind of like the first chapter of Genesis, right? It's like here is um, here is how. God created the heavens and the earth, right? Here is how God created Middle Earth, right? And um, just like the first chapter of Genesis has kind of a, you know, has a very strong poetic feel to it, um, it turns out that Middle Earth was created through this thing called the music of the Ainur. Literally, Middle Earth is made of music. And I was just, I'm a lifelong music lover. And so I was just fascinated by this concept that music, like Middle Earth is like made out of music, whoa you know <laughs> and 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 when i having journeyed through that tolkien's overture was a later book and having journeyed through uh so much of his stories in detail i i was seeing all these references to music in so many different places in both the silmarillion in the hobbit and lord of the rings it's, music's just all over the place and the power of music too so i was like so so really in that book what i tried to do was i i did a close reading and explored i knew Lindelay. And <clears throat> tried to kind of give a framework for what I saw going on there. And um, and then I looked at a lot of the musical moments throughout the history of, of Middle Earth and kind of explored how they might connect to this idea that Middle Earth is made of music. So, um, so yeah. And would you recommend that people should read your book before or after they've read the source text? Um, I would never tell people to, uh, to read my stuff before reading Tolkien, uh, or, or really any other writer that I would, or artist that I was trying to like explore. But the whole idea is that if you find, find it challenging, um, go and you can, you can read my, you can go read my book and maybe it'll help you, right? Maybe it'll help you get an idea and, and kind of ground yourself for a better reading. Um, I think with Ainu Lindale, I think people it's it's short enough to where pe- most people could probably make it through and then go read my book even if they don't understand the story itself the first time and then maybe but i would encourage people always to go and read you know tolkien's own works because i don't want my own views and and those kind of things to be to be like i i, I want to let people the, people's own imaginations and understandings be shaped by the text itself rather than um me kind of interjecting and being like let me tell you how to understand this <laughs> before you read it right Unless it's helpful, right? Unless they need help. And then I'm glad to help. Yeah, I've definitely read that chapter at least three times. When I first read it, it's like, this is beautiful. Not sure if I understood it. I need to read it again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, that's that's the Silmarillion for you. (laughs) Challenging. And and we'll talk about the Silmarillion specifically in a moment. But just more generally, do you have any, any general advice for people when they start reading the professor's works as to, how to how to a understand and b get more out of it yeah i mean i think i think it's like anything else you know you dive in and um you know if it's you know the hobbit is probably a little more palatable for most people if you you know if you're not the kind of person that can dive into something like the silmarillion which honestly most aren't 
um, then yeah, pick up The Hobbit and you know, it's, it's a more approachable, accessible, traditional story. Um, it'll give you some grounding into the background that you need for the Lord of the Rings. So that's nice. And then the Lord of the Rings, it's interesting as we've gone back and read Lord of the Rings with our kids, because we're doing kind of a read aloud with it, read aloud of it right now. You know, the Lord of the Rings is actually a little slow to get going. And, um, and so that can be challenging. Um, but once it does pick up, it's just so it's it's great and and even the slow I I like the slow parts personally, <laughs> uh, I like all the detail and the exposition, um, but I would just encourage people to be patient and to persevere. Um, as difficult as that can be, because it's all of his works are works that e- even with the Hobbit, it's not like it's even the Hobbit is is a more difficult children's story than like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to get into, mm-hmm. right? And but when you stick with his works, the the payoff is incredible right the payoff is incredible so i mean patience and perseverance and and there's just so many great resources out there now to help so if you do need help like you know find a podcast like the tolkien road um or and and there's others um out there so you know come along and journey with somebody and uh, we've had many people write to us and tell us like i finally made it through the silmarillion thanks to you guys thank (laughs) you so much and um and let's face it, it it does make reading works like this much more enjoyable when you have somebody to to kind of share and and to converse with, or even just to listen to a conversation about it. So, and what yeah. do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. And I I think the only thing the only other thing I would say is go into them with the right mindset. Um, you know, I I wouldn't recommend taking the Silmarillion to the beach. It's just not. <laughs> It's not a beach read, you know, take, take your, uh, take your Agatha Christie or, you know, something like that. But, um, but yeah, just, just kind of, kind of know what you're in for and, and just kind of, you know, sometimes honestly, when I know I have like, you know, a big chunk of reading to do to get ready for a podcast, I gotta, I gotta like pump myself up. Like, you know, I, I'll do like some jumping jacks and, you know, <laughs> talk myself, talk myself in the mirror and be like, you can do this, you can do this. Um, and I will quit someday, but that day is not today. Exactly, That's right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just, um, and, and if it gets tough, just put it down. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to force it, I guess. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I've, I have found myself with allowing myself much too little time to read a particular assignment for a podcast and been like, oh, you know, I know I would have enjoyed this so much better so much more if I had just allowed myself a little bit more time to get through Well, it. and it's different. And I'm, you probably can sympathize with this, David. Um, it's different when you're, when you're preparing to talk about something on a podcast, um, you know, to, to kind of explain a book or something like that to people on a podcast. You feel a different sense. It's not the same as just sitting down with a book and a, and a nice drink and, yeah. you know, and you just get to enjoy it all by yourself or, mm-hmm. you know, with one other person, like mm-hmm. you're, there's, there's an added level of pressure to like, make sure you have it right. And, you know, and the things you're going to say are well grounded and not you to know, skip over the difficult words or right. some, right. some of the references. It's a running joke on our podcast that whenever we come across a Greek name until we have faces, I'll pause and I'll say, so Matt, can you tell the listeners a little bit about <laughs> Antigone? <laughs> just the silence. <laughs> It's like, okay, right. well, I looked it yep. up and this is what I turned out. <laughs> right. That's, that's yep, right. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. There, there's more research and all that kind of stuff. So it's, um, you know, that, that is the challenge of doing, uh, you know, doing podcasting, but, um, but with the books, yeah, I mean, 
I think overall, I think we both just say like patience and perseverance mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with Tolkien's works because they're yeah. the reward, the payoff is is worth it. Yeah, and a pint of your favorite ale <laughs> by your helps. side always always goes a long way, mm-hmm. yes. especially if it comes in pints. That's exactly right. <laughs> Okay, then. Len, let's talk about the Silmarillion specifically. Uh, yes. Can you just give us a little bit of background as to the work and its composition? Because, yeah, this, this, this is certainly one of the more complex histories, both in content and the history of the text itself. Absolutely. Um, the Silmarillion was the first of the works of Middle-earth that Tolkien began um, well before the word Hobbit had even popped into his mind. Um, the, uh, and, and forgive me, I, I won't have, I won't necessarily have all the exact dates of, you know, particular things, even years, but just. It's totally cool. I would, I would blank them out of my brain anyway. You know, <laughs> it's like when people get directions and they tell me street names, yeah. it's just like, I know mm-hmm. all I heard was right at the Seven <laughs> Eleven. Exactly. Yes. So, so Tolkien, um, essentially began writing the Silmarillion when, uh, round about his, um, late teens and early twenties. Uh, he was born in 1892. So, um, uh, you know, and so early, like 1910, 1911, 1912 was when the first kind of fragments of these, of the stories that make up the Silmarillion started, you know, he started writing these things down. And interestingly, they really, the genesis of them was in his own love of language and the languages he was creating, right? So he was creating his own languages and then he was like, these languages need a myth- need mythology to go along with them. And so he started creating stories based off of these, right? Which just, again, tells you about this guy's genius. Like, what a unique individual this was, right? Um, because who does that, right? Right, I know. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Like, surely, like, most people would create the universe and then be like, oh, maybe a, a fun language to f- would be good. Right. But he did it the other way. Or maybe skip both and just tell a story. Like a normal <laughs> <Exactly. person. laughs> But That's but he was true. the kind of guy, yeah, he was the kind of guy, he creates this mythology and like histories, and then he's like, okay, maybe I'll tell a story within the context of this too. Um, so, um, and then World War One happens, and, you know, he, he fight, he's, he was involved in World War One like most men of his age uh, who lived in, uh, who lived in Britain. And, um, uh, and so that obviously, you know, influenced a lot of the stories as well. Um but he continued working on these stories. They were just kind of his private little, you know, hobby, um, you know, uh, that he worked on throughout the 20s and and then into the 30s. And then, of course, in 1937, The Hobbit happened. And that, you know, we won't get into the history of The Hobbit itself, but, you know, The Hobbit came along, like, after he had been working on The Silmarillion for 20 years. And he was... He had some little notes in the original edition of The Hobbit that connected it to these kind of like larger off stories that just very subtle things. Um, but but in his mind, he was like, there is some connection to this other stuff I'm working on. I'm just not entirely sure of what it is. But then The Hobbit was a huge success and and uh, and he was asked to write a sequel to it, which, of course, eventually became The Lord of the Rings. But it took him 16 years, not maybe not 16 years, but around around 15 years, basically, to complete The Lord of the Rings and see it published. And with The Lord of the Rings, he very deliberately connected it to this larger mythology that he was working on. And his hope the whole time was that he could publish, get both The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion 
you know, published at the same time, right? Because he was like... Because they're both such small books. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it was like, uh, I wrote the Bible, but my own version of it. Can you please publish this for me? Right. <clears throat> and and so Tolkien, you know, has some funny, uh, funny moments in some of his letters that you can find where he talks about like, he kind of realizes at some point that like, yeah, the Silmarillion might never see publication because there's one glaring problem with it. It doesn't have hobbits, and <laughs> and he knew that like hot people loved hobbits, and but they he's just like but they didn't exist back then, you know, um, in the first age, in the stories of the first age. So, um, so of course, you know, the rest the rest is history as far as Lord of the Rings goes. I mean, Lord of the Rings built on the success of the Hobbit and became this thing that just inspired incredible devotion. And throughout the rest of his life, Tolkien continued to work on the stories of the first age and the Silmarillion and hoped that they would eventually see publication. Um, but unfortunately he passed away in 1973. I think I have that year right. And, uh, and they had not still had not seen publication. Fortunately, his son, Christopher, um, came along and Christopher was the, he had, Tolkien had three, uh, four children and, um, Christopher was the child that kind of provided like that. He spoke about these stories most with. Um, and so Christopher, uh, kind of took the mantle of his father and wanted to continue to publish, you know, the, the things that hadn't been published. And so four years later in 1977, we got the Silmarillion uh, through the effort of Christopher. And with the help of a, of a, a gentleman named uh, Guy Gavriel Kay. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's the Silmarillion we have it now. So it's an interesting question of like, would this be the Silmarillion we actually would have had if Tolkien himself had seen it published or, you know, how much it's, it's, it's kind of an open-ended question of how much influence Christopher had on editing this book, you know? So well, I think if it had been left up to his father, we would have never seen it. <laughs> it never would have been good enough, you know, for his father. He was, he was kind of a perfectionist in that way. Now, Greta, you read this along with the show. So you hadn't read this before you started on the podcast. Correct. Yes. So what was your impression as you started going through it for the first time? Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, um, it was a tough go. Like it was a really tough go. Um, I mean, again, beautiful writing, absolutely beautiful, but I, I found myself, um, I just had a hard time contextualizing all of it. And, um, I, you know, trying to figure out, uh, you know, who the Valar are and, and kind of their role and pronouncing their names and, um, you know, it was it was a little um, I don't know what the right word is, but it was it was a little erythral for my taste. You know, it was ethereal. Just you mean ethereal. ethereal? I get those words mixed. I know. Okay, <laughs> ethereal. What did I say? Ereth erythral. I don't even know what that is. That's probably not even a word. That's See, like this a is what form happens when people. This is what happens when people read Tolkien. They just <laughs> want to start creating language. Exactly. That's right. That's, yes, that's exactly what happened. So, at its best. Never apologize, right. Greta. Never. Amen. 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 See, you totally harshed my buzz there. Anyway, okay. I meant what I so, said. So <laughs> it was. Um, yeah. Have, so coming to the Silmarillion after having read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which are much more concrete, you know, actual like stories, and this was, yeah, it was just a little out there. Um, so it was um, tough. And to be completely honest, if if I didn't know that I had to talk, like I was going to have to at least sound somewhat intelligent um, on the podcast, 
I don't think I would have stuck with it, to be completely honest. Um, I, I, knowing that there was a purpose to my reading other than for my own personal enjoyment, which to be completely honest, was not there most of the time. Um, I don't, I don't think I would have made it through. So it really helped. And, and knowing that, um, you know, that, that John had read it before and I, I could ask him questions. That was also super helpful, but it was, it was, um, I mean, it was beautiful, like I said, but definitely, definitely a tough read for sure. I mean, you'd get little breaks like Baron and Luthien or, you know, some fun, you know, stories that were a little bit more comfortable. Um, but for the most part, it, it was, it was hard. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of like reading the old Testament, <laughs> you know, I mean, who wants to sit down and, and read through Leviticus? I mean, not, Interesting. Not me. Really fascinating story. And then like three chapters of genealogy. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. Well, my fiance exactly. and I were actually doing the Bible in a year this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was Leviticus was fine. It was when we got into numbers that was like, oh numbers. my goodness, make it end. <laughs> right, exactly. But then you end up yeah. with judges and lots of crazy stories about people being right. stabbed with swords and losing the hilt because they're so fat and right. women nailing guys' heads to the ground. It's like, yeah, that's more like it. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, but you have to get through numbers to get there. So yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, well, he. And, if you read yeah. Leaf by Niggle, Tolkien definitely believed in. Uh, uh, in uh, in sanctification through uh, through suffering. That's his purpose right. tale. Absolutely. Maybe he thought, I just need to put a few sections in the Silmarillion mm-hmm. just to keep out the riffraff. Just to keep That's out right. The That's right. <laughs> it is definitely a weeding out. I feel like it's definitely a book that weeds out the, you know. You shall not pass <laughs> unless you read this part first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm very proud of the fact that I've made it through. I will say that because it's, yeah. um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a challenge. And you can look with affection back on it and see that totally. among yes. the tough parts, there were also some really great parts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it totally enriched, you know, my my reading, my rereading of The Lord of the Rings as well. Um, I just feel like I, under, you know, I um, so it came alive to me in, in a new way the, um, after I'd read The Silmarillion um, and just seeing how it was all connected was really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, John, can you just give us an overview of the work itself now uh, so that we can understand what Tolkien was doing? Because, as we've said, it's not just a straight story arc. Absolutely, yeah. And, and in fact, um, I'll say a couple of things at the outset. Um, we, we did one episode of the podcast that's just the Silmarillion in one episode. So that, if you if you'd like somewhere to start, that's actually maybe a good place to go and just, like, get the overview in one in uh in one episode of the podcast um and and the other thing i'll say is that i did some videos uh, recently on youtube that are an intro to the silmarillion and they're intended to be kind of a uh like five minute chunks and it go they're eight videos five minute chunks and they kind of divide the story into a couple of different sections uh but it, so it, it's no small feat i mean like to to really take the story because it covers thousands of years of history and um and and there's no like one main character except like except for the bad guy who mm-hmm. is uh Melkor and then all of a sudden has his name changed to Morgoth in the middle of the story. <laughs> but I'll do my best. So, like I said, it begins Anulindale, you get the creation story of Middle-earth. Then you have this chapter called Valaquenta, which is a catalog, it's not really a story, it's more of a catalog of these cre- of these creatures called 
the Valar. And the Valar are the powers of uh, Middle Earth. They're like these gods, uh, ang- angelic beings that that the that God, like the ultimate God, creates, and and then sends into this world called Arda to form to kind of finish making this world. Okay, so Valaquenta deals with that and uh, and introduces uh, introduces the main Valar and and some other. Uh, lesser figures, but still like gods, right? Gods and goddesses. Um, and then we actually get into the story of the Silmarillion, which involves um, the Valar, who are you know they're good creatures, uh, they're 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 benevolent creatures, and they kind of rule this world of Arda in a benevolent way, trying to help it grow into what it's supposed to be, and and they're also preparing the way for what are called the children of Iluvatar. Who are who we later find out are elves and men, right? So elves are the elder children of Iluvatar, men are the younger children of Iluvatar. So um, we get and uh, we get the creation of these two lamps by the Valar. I mean, when you think of lamps like giant, like mountain lamps to light this world, because there's no heavenly bodies at this point. There's no stars. There's no sun. There's no moon. Melkor then, who's the bad guy? Who's who's he's the bad Valar, right? He comes along and he's he he destroys these lamps because that's what Melkor does, right? <laughs> he he's a destroyer. He's 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 a trickster, right? And he's a destroyer, and he can't stand for anybody else to be like happy. Um, that's a very simple way of talking about Melkor, but that's kind of the idea. That's good enough for now. Good working definition. Um, so he destroys these two lamps, and the Valar are all sad about it. But they uh, two of the female Valar, the two of the Valir, Yavanna and uh, Nienna get together and they concoct to create these uh, two trees, which are called the two trees of Valinor. Okay. And these two trees are different from the lamps and the light they give. Um, it's more of a blended light, um, but it's still this light that uh, illuminates the world. Right. So, so that's their solution to Melkor destroying the two lamps. From there, you have the elves awaken. The elves are summoned to the, the land of the Valar, which is, which is called Valinor. Um, and not all of the elves make this journey. Only, a, only really a, a kind of a small group make this final journey all the way to Valinor. Um, and in this group in particular, um, there's a group, one of the three groups of elves that make the journey um, is the Noldor. And the Noldor um, are kind of the, the ones who are in main focus as the elves during the Silmarillion. The Noldor, um, out of the Noldor arises this character, Feanor. Feanor is the one who creates the Silmarils, which are these holy jewels. And he creates these jewels uh, to house some of the light of the two trees of Valinor. Okay? So they're these beautiful, they're the most beautiful things anybody's ever seen, the most beautiful creations anybody's ever seen. Um, Melkor, uh, Melkor wants these. And so he he conspires with a giant spider called Ungoliant. <laughs> who is the mother, by the way, of Shelob and probably all the other big spiders in, in The Hobbit. And uh, he conspires with Ungoliant to destroy the two trees of Valinor and, and then steal the Silmarils. And they succeed in this. And then the, and then the action moves to Beleriand, in, uh, which is the land that you see in the map of the book, right? When you look at the map that's in the Silmarillion, that's the land is, is Beleriand. So not until chapter 10 are we actually getting to the land that the map is a part of or that the map shows. Wait, you're only in chapter three? <laughs> no, we're in chapter 10 now. Oh, 
chapter 10. Okay. That's for you. <laughs> I'm telling you, like I'm, I'm skipping over so much you all. It's like, it, it kind of pains me and I already feel like I'm saying too much at the same time. But, um, the rest of the story of the Silmarillion involves like the Noldor giving chase to, uh, Melkor and trying to get the Silmarils back. If, if there's one unifying plot, that's really it. Right. Like, so the Noldor come back to, they get exiled because they refuse to stay in Valinor. They get exiled from Valinor. They come to uh, Beleriand, and then they're just kind of constantly at war with Melkor and Melkor's forces, trying to get back the Silmarils and ultimately defeat Melkor. Um, and so one note, Beleriand is, uh, does not exist in the Third Age, right? So, But if you look at the easternmost section of the map where it says the Blue Mountains or the Arid Luin, uh, those mountains are the mountains on the western edge of the map and the and of the map we're all familiar with for Lord of the Rings. So that is a very short, lots left out version of the plot. <laughs> but you re- you reminded me of of how how much cool stuff there is in it. Oh yeah, you just have to kind of wade through the yeah. You have to wade through kind of the background and and you get to you know you just have to do you have to be committed. Um, but if you'll you'll get there, like there's a lot of really fun stories in mm-hmm. there, and then after that, there's a there's a final section, right? But it's not the Silmarillion; it's the yeah, great Ak- point, Akalabath, Akalabath. So, yeah. um, so there there is uh, like the book begins before chapter one with two sections, Ainulindale and Valaquenta. Tacked onto the end is uh, Akalabath, and then of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. Akalabath is the story of Numenor uh, in the Second Age. So Akalabath really tells the story of the Second Age and the and the downfall of Numenor. Um, I, I probably won't even get into all get into all of what Numenor is and and all that sort of thing. But just understand that it's Akalabath is really meant to be the story of the Second Age and so of Sauron's rise to power and of the creation you know the creation of the Rings of Power and then of the Rings of Power in the Third Age. It's really interesting. It tells the story of Lord of the Rings from kind of a a long, a much longer view and a much higher level view. Um, and we actually do hear about like Frodo and, and other characters from Lord of the Rings, but it's from this kind of 50,000 foot view of, of all the events. It's like the, it's like the godlike view of, of the whole history of middle earth. The big picture. Yep. Yeah. So that's a nutshell. In a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> a very big nutshell. Yes. Very big nutshell. <laughs> And you've been recently putting out resources to help people work mm-hmm. through the Silmarillion. I was so pleased when I started seeing these appear on the internet. It's like, it's like he knows. <laughs> <laughs> He's inside your brain. Can you just tell us a little bit more about them and uh, where people can find them? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm still working on getting them, uh, getting them out, but it's an eight part series. And um, so uh, eight part video series. And I've, I've really divided up the Silmarillion into um, chunks that make sense to me in, or, in order to help people have a grasp going in. Again, I, I rec- like give it a try without me, without me or any other help, right? And see if you can see what you can do. And if you hit the wall, come find these videos. Um, one of the things I wanted to do with these videos too is I wanted to uh, shine a light on some artwork uh, that art, because I have such an appreciation for the incredible people that make like art out of Tolkien stories. 
Um, I think it's something he had an appreciation for as well um, because I have zero visual artistic skill myself. And, and I just look at some of the things people create um, of different images from Tolkien stories. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Or like, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's a really interesting way of putting it. So I've, I've used um, with the permission of these artists, I've used a lot of their works in these videos to kind of be a visual narration um, as I'm talking about, you know, kind of giving the synopsis of the various chapters. So you can find those, those videos on YouTube. Uh, Just look for the Tolkien road podcast on YouTube and you'll find them there. Um, you can also go to silmguide.com, S-I-L-M guide.com. And I've, I have a chapter by chapter text guide to each of these stories I put together years ago. It kind of needs revision, honestly, but I put, put it together years ago. And so the videos will also be posted there. You can also follow, follow the Tolkien road on Facebook and you'll find, we're going to have the videos up there as well soon. And, and, um, I'm really looking to make more of a push into doing, you know, some shorter video stuff um, in the YouTube space, you know, just wherever, but, you know, shorter video stuff. Uh, so come, definitely come subscribe to the YouTube channel and lots to talk about when it comes to Tolkien. Yeah, I've definitely found it helpful. So I've gone through the first uh, first few parts and it, it, I find it, I, I, I'm definitely a visual learner. So having images both from the text and now from other artists really helps solidify in mm-hmm keep those things together in my head as I'm moving mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. How, how far are you, David? I know you said you started not too long ago, right? Yeah. I've, I just did the creation myth and then yeah. the Valaquinta. I've, I've okay. read those several times to try mm-hmm. and get all of the different names mm-hmm. into my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I've got I a feeling I, it's going to be important going forward. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I remember taking notes when, you know, when, when I've, first started. I mean, a lot of that probably was for the podcast, but I think it did help to just kind of keep it straight in mm-hmm. my brain about who is who and, you know, their role. And yeah. And yeah. to say some of these names out loud. Mm-hmm. So right. Valaquinta is, is not just, a, it's, if, if you've read much Russian literature or French literature, you know, it, it, they have some amazing names in there. So it's like, oh, it's Monsieur M. Yes, <laughs> it's, yes. It's, right. it's with this. Uh, so exactly. I, I learned a while ago. Yes. It's like no, you've yes. got to master the names, and and then the story won't be quite so confusing. Because you know what happens if you end up with another character in the book whose name also begins with D. I'm then lost. That's right. I don't right. know right. who's doing what. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a running that. joke with my kids as we do the. Uh, was we do the talk, the Lord of the Rings read aloud. Cause I'm very deliberate about pronouncing, you know, Aragorn is Aragorn and kind of having a little roll of the R in there. And so whenever it's, Ar- whenever it's Aragorn, son of Arathorn, it's like Aragorn, son of Arathorn, you know, the and kids love to make fun of and them. They just, they just, cause here I am just talking to my kind of like normal, like whatever quasi Southern accent, um, without any sophistication at all. So all of a sudden I'm like, Aragorn, Son of Arathorn. Mm-hmm. So, Isildur. Right. Yeah. Isildur. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's quite funny. We, uh, we burst out laughing now and then. But if you're going to talk, if you're going to read Tolkien stories, then read them right. You know, it's like. My, dude, my thoughts exactly. Uh, the yeah. one thing that I insist on whenever I'm reading a story out loud is I have to do voices. Yeah. Oh, totally. You need work on your voices. I know. It's hard. You tried a little bit with, um, with Saruman. Sauron, with Saruman last Saruman. night. Saruman. Um, and what is it like Sauron and Saruman? Like, I cannot keep those guys straight. I'm like, wait, who's the main bad guy? I mean, <laughs> I wish he had made their names just a little more different, but 
Anyway. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. the, it's the same with the female characters. Begin with A. It's like, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, right. that's so true. Well, or at least the A sound, you know, the Eowyn and Arwen. Eowyn and Arwen and, yeah. Right. Not <laughs> helpful, sir. <laughs> not helpful. No, not that's helpful. That's what Tolkien did, though. But, yeah. He loved the names. He loved the words. He did. He did. And they're all beautiful, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Now, a lot of people have seen the... Uh, now, a lot of people have seen the Lord of the Rings movies, and mm-hmm. there have been rumors circulating for quite some time, uh, and then of an official announcement that Amazon now had the rights to tell some Tolkien stories. And yes. on your podcast, you've spoken a bit about Latron Prime. Uh, <laughs> can you explain that and tell mm-hmm. us what do we know about this so far? Well, Latron Prime is just our little our little joke about the name of uh, the, the hashtag for, you know, cause I think the Twitter handle is uh, L O T R on prime. Um, so Lord of the Rings on prime and that's the hashtag you always see. <laughs> and so we were just like, well, we'll just refer to this as our friend Latron prime. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's not as much of a now a mouthful that yeah, way is saying L O T R on prime it personalizes it too. We just kind of fun. We're goofballs and like to do that, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, but <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, I'm delighted. I'm excited. Uh, you know, for me, it's all, especially as somebody, especially someone who's doing a podcast on this stuff. It's like, it's, I mean, it's pretty much all upside, right? I mean, even if it's, I, 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 I would be shocked if it's like horrible, right? So because a, they invested so much money in it and B, the budget's going to be so big. So it's at least going to be visually amazing and they're going to, they're probably going to try and do the writing really well. Uh, they're they're going to put a lot of effort into it. Is was what I'm saying. Um, so, and and at the end of the day, it's going to give us so much to talk about. Um, you know, on on this podcast and in the Tolkien community at large, and it's going to bring people to it that wouldn't have been interested in it before, right? Who maybe have you know went maybe were crazy about Lord of the Rings when the movies came out and the Hobbit when the Hobbit came out, but there hasn't been this kind of big pop culture, you know, defining thing for Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth in a long time. Um, I, you know, I, we know so little about, all we know about it right now is that it's going to focus on uh, the story of Numenor in the Second Age, which is really exciting because all we really have for the history of Numenor is a Akalabaeth and of the Rings of Power in the Third Age and some fragments of some other stuff here and there and references to the history of Numenor and, uh, and Lord of the Rings. So, uh, and, and just to give people an understanding, Numenor is, uh, was the kingdom of men that was granted to those men who helped the elves in the first age again in their struggle against Morgoth, right? So they were given this special island kingdom to, that was not quite in Valinor, but it was halfway to Valinor. So it was, it was maybe had, it was a happier place and it was a place of peace. And, um, and it's basically the story of the downfall of this, of this uh, land and, um, and, and Numenor, by the way, that it, uh, Aragorn is descended, is a descendant of Numenor. And so like Gondor is a kingdom that has roots in Numenor. So that's, that's how you can kind of connect it to, uh, the Lord of the Rings. Um, so, I mean, I'm very excited to see what this, to see what this becomes. We, we don't know much more about it beyond that. Not even really like who the actor, the actors who have been announced, who they're going to be playing. It's got a lot of amazing talent as far as writers attached to it. It's got a big writer's room. Um, 
you know, so we'll see how that all pans out. I mean, people who've written for other shows that we both really like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but you know, yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll just have to wait and see yeah, you know, a lot of it. I, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about it. I, I'm really like that. It's focusing on Numenor because like you said, we have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, of Tolkien's, of Tolkien's writing that focuses on that, but not, not enough really that, that we can, that we can um, get upset about different <laughs> yeah. creative interpretations. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the Lord of the Rings movies, but because that was focused on an entire book that we already yeah. had, it was very easy to nitpick and be like, yeah. oh, like the things that, you know. Like, Every detail that's not exactly like yeah. the book, you, you know, you're going to find somebody who's or, like, ah. You the know. leaf in this shot is not how Tolkien described it. Not how Tolkien described nope, it. Nope, nope. The shape is all wrong. <laughs> you got yes, it wrong. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I like that there's, you know, there's enough to kind of give a good framework, um, but not so much that there's not room for creative interpretation. Um so, cause I'm really bad about that. Like I'm really bad about hating a movie. Just if it, if it does not follow the book, then I loved the book. Like forget about it. Yeah. Like I, I won't give it the time of day. So I think I'll be able to relax and enjoy the series a little bit more knowing that, that, you know, I'm not gonna be able to nitpick. My, so. my biggest hope and desire for the series is that the writing team will, will spend, will, will understand that this, I mean, this is not just some some book you're adapting, right? This is this, these works and these stories, even if they're just kind of a framework of stories right now that we've been given, were the work of one man and one man who is beloved by millions the world over. And I just, my biggest prayer is that they respect and honor his vision and, and his, the philosophical underpinnings he brought to his own work. And if they take the time to do that and to honor that through their own work, then I expect to just love it. Um, if they start trying to kind of do their own, you know, pontificating and, um, you know, you know, kind of put forward their own pet causes in whatever regard into these stories, um, which we know that in some places people or, you know, writers are want to do these days, um, then then you're going to receive a backlash. You know, they're going to receive a backlash if they do that kind of stuff, right? If they get into, um, you know, just, I don't know, it could, it, anything. It could be politicizing it. It could be any number of things, you know, just doing these spins on, you know, they're, I'll do my own spin on this, you know, on this story, right? It's like, no, you don't get to do that. Like, So you're you, basically hoping that they feel the weight that they should be feeling in trying to be a ghostwriter for Tolkien. Absolutely. That's I, I am all, big you, shoes. For you'll sure. find people that don't want that think it's just a, a travesty that, that anybody is ghostwriting for Tolkien. Now, I'm all about it. I, I'm like, I think it's about time. Like, I love these stories and I think it's possible to do this in the right way. Um, so I'm hopeful. And, uh, you know, and I mean, I'll I, if they're listening to this, I'll just be like, I, hey, I, I really believe in you guys and, you know, I'm praying for you guys to get it right because if you don't get it right, it, you know, like it's... I will it's, find you. I will hunt you down. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to send any wrong messages, but like, you know, it's kind of like, if you don't get it right, I mean, that's going to be like, it just as an artist myself, like that would be a burden to me of like, I really screwed this up, you know, like, you know, so. And having, I mean, I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly now, Ian Indele? Anu Lindele. Anu Lindele. 
uh, having that in my head and in the creation of Middle Earth, when these melodies start appearing that weren't in the original song but are in harmony with it, I think that's a good model for Latron Prime. As long yeah. as it's in harmony with the rest of the in work, exactly. be as creative, subcreate mm-hmm. to your heart's content. Mm-hmm. Agreed. A- absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But and and so one of the one other thing I'll note that, that's in, that's in fact very encouraging is at least last I heard. Um, the Tolkien estate is keeping kind of quality control over this. So the Tolkien estate was the uh, was the estate established after you know Tolkien died to continue kind of managing the output of his works and was run for you know forever by Christopher Tolkien, uh, who was we previously mentioned, uh, who who passed away earlier this year. Um, but it's still you know it's it's his it's a family estate right that's running and managing the legacy of Tolkien's own works. And so even though they're not the ones um, doing the work to produce this, they are kind of, they have their own methods of ensuring that they kind of get a say on, you know, quality control and these things and and that it stays true to it. And last I heard, um, there was an individual named, oh, what's his name? Um, Gotta look at my bookshelf. An individual named Tom Shippey, who is um, maybe one of the great Tolkien scholars and he was attached to the project to be like the representative for the Tolkien estate and kind of make sure that they got that the quality control is there. So, um, you know, so I'm hopeful that, that with him on board and the Tolkien estate's influence that this is because with Peter Jackson, there was no, the Tolkien estate had no say in any of what he did now. So he was a little freer to just kind of do what he wanted to do. Um, but with this, there is that, we're watching, and if we're not happy about something, we can always we we have strings we can pull. So <laughs> wonderful, <Yeah>. yes, <laughs> it is <Exactly>. wonderful. <laughs> so during Tolkien Month, I'm ending every interview with a simple quiz. It's a this that quiz where I'm going to present two options, and you tell me your preferred option. So this is also going to be a little bit like the newlywed game, since there are two of you. <laughs> Perfect. Great. So Yay. you ready? Yes. Ready? Okay. Let's do it. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Definitely coffee. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong, but I'll carry on. <laughs> Elves or dwarves? Oof. It's tough. Um, Do we have to say it the are we, same Are we going to count? <laughs> on the count of three. Sure. One, two, three. Elves. Elves. All right. Woo. Good. <laughs> I got to tell you, it was last second for me. Like, I was like, because elves, but like. Dwarves are so awesome. Dwarves are awesome yeah. in their own way, for sure. Yeah. Early bird or night owl? We're gonna disagree on this one. Uh, night owl. I, I'm I'm definitely more of an early bird. Yeah, early riser. Yeah. I'm not. Gandalf or Radagast? Gandalf. Gandalf. Yeah. Call or text? Text. Text. Yeah. Sorry, okay. We're, this... we're kind of off on our timing. Are we supposed? Are we supposed to all say it at once? Are we supposed to say it at once? I don't know. Are we supposed to do a, like countdown to say it at once? <laughs> we need like our little boards, like they have in the. We need like dry erase boards. But... That's right. Oh well. All right, we'll we'll do the countdown from now <laughs> okay. on. Okay. Okay. The next the next one's gonna be an important one to a lot of people. Tom okay. Bombadil, wonderful or wretched? One, two, three. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we love Tom Bombadil. We love him. I, Tom Bombadil is fascinating. Yeah. He is like, I, I, I understand the naysayers, but it's like, you just, 
you're focusing on the wrong things is the problem with with the people who are naysayers about Tom Bombadil. You're like, oh, he sings these silly songs, and it's like, you don't get it. You need to read what Tolkien has to say about Tom Bombadil. <laughs> we got to the point in our family read aloud not too long ago with Tom Bombadil, and our kids just loved it. Like they were like, <laughs> after the scene, like you know, we kind of moved on, and they, you know, one of our kids was like, "Where's Tom Bombadil? What happened to him? What, what, where, where is he?" <laughs> Is that Tom speak? No, that's not Tom. You know, they they wanted more Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Tom Bombadil is fascinating. He is. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. iPhone or Android? iPhone. iPhone. Yeah. yeah. Glad to hear it. Perry. <laughs> <laughs> Pippin or Mary? One, two, three. Pippin. Pippin. Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Pippin's Shailoff. just got that funnier, funnier uh, streak to him, I think. A little yeah. bit funnier, a little, yeah. A little more chill. Carefree, like, yeah. yeah. Shalob or Nazgul? No. One that's... Is this, like, scarier? <laughs> uh, I'm just giving you two choices. I, I'm... Uh, all right. One, two, three. Shalob. Oh. <laughs> I hate spiders. I am, like, terrified <laughs> of spiders. So the first time I saw the movie with Shelob when I saw Return of the King I remember I knew it was coming because I had read the books and I was just like oh my gosh that's horrifying and then when I finally saw it I was just like whoa <laughs> it's just funny because Shelob doesn't bother me I mean she's gross but it doesn't bother me yeah um, I'm just like that. that is like literally like that is the deepest darkest point of the valley of the shadow of death for me <laughs> like, a, I mean yes I, I think what is it for the Nazgul for me is their the cry like the it's just you know you can hear them before you see them and that's just terrifying to me <laughs> well the next one's a little lighter okay. second breakfast or elevens is one two three second breakfast. <laughs> i knew we were gonna disagree because <laughs> you're eating your second breakfast even before i've even had my first this so I usually have my first breakfast Second around breakfast 11. Second breakfast is more my main breakfast. <laughs> it's yeah. true, yes. And 11Zs is more like my brunch, so. Yeah. Yeah. Boromir or Faramir? One, two, three. Faramir. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Faramir in the book, is, he's oh, just amazing. so good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, Boromir, I like Boromir too, but. Another yeah. controversial one now. Balrogs, wings or wingless? One, two, three, wingless. Wings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, you guys can talk about that among yourselves later. <laughs> What's yours on that? What do you What do you have on? I'm 100 percent wingless. Yeah, I think when you read it in the story, yeah, that's um, uh, you know, shadow and flame, right? <laughs> well, who says he can't have wings of flame? Rabbit trail. Rabbit trail. <laughs> I come like back, wings. Come back. Come back. See, I'm a Nazgul. You know, Nazgul have. We I guess I'm just, I partial to. You're wings. giving us like ten episode ideas. Like we need to just do whole episodes on some of these topics. Man. <laughs> you're welcome. That's good. Well, That's fun. Well, well this is a, this is a lighter one now. Bagels okay. or croissant? Oh. One, two, three. Bagels. bagels. Very or American. Bagels. Maybe wrong. Say bagels. <laughs> American. I know. Wrong. Where's, where's the bagel? I think the problem, David, oh, yeah. is that we. It's hard to get really good croissants here in america that is true that, that is I an was, acceptable excuse 
Thank you. Yes, because when I was in, when I visited France after college, I mean, I lived on croissants because, I mean, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Like all of Europe, I feel like I had my fair share of croissants. But here in America, they're just, they just feel so, they're just imitations of the real thing. Oh, wait. We don't oh, have a good bakery. Are we talking about, so. are we talking about crescents? <laughs> Pillsbury <laughs> crescent rolls. <laughs> are we talking about crescent rolls? Okay, we're entering the home stretch now. Okay. The movies or the book? Oh. Uh, the book. book. Yeah. Yes. Just checking. <laughs> okay. Arwen or Eowyn? Are we counting? Yeah. All right. Okay. One, two, three. Eowyn. Eowyn. It, it was tough. Like, I, I mean, I like Arwen, but I think Eowyn is, she's such a great character. Like, um, I just love her strength. I think mm-hmm. like she's just she is like you know I mean not that Arwen's not strong in her own way but I just love that princess warrior thing that she's got going on. I, I will say I was tempted to go on. with Arwen because Liv Tyler portrays her and you know and I, I've always thought Liv Tyler You've was always really been an Aerosmith fan. Yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way of putting it right there. Yes. <laughs> okay, three left: Rivendell or Lothlorien. One, two, three. Rivendell. Rivendell. Oh, yeah. Rivendell. I wish I could live at Rivendell. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Me too. Gollum or Jar Jar Binks? One, I don't know who two. Jar Jar Binks is. Oh, that is the correct answer. Oh, my goodness. You just win right now. <laughs> You know, at least like my from. kids talk about. I'm, he must be from Star Wars, yeah, Star right? Star Wars, yeah. Because the kids, my, our kids, talk about him all the time. So he is from Gollum, the yeah. non-canonical movies. <laughs> non-canonical. Gollum, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gollum. Gollum is another just like, oh, what an amazing character! What an amazing character! Yeah, really. Yes. So yeah. Final question: Tolkien or Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> one, two. Three, Tolkien. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) You're fired. (laughs) We can't fire me. I quit. Um, Gratty, you can come on my podcast anytime. I would love to. I'm actually, you have me like, as soon as I finish the book I'm reading right now, I'm going back to Till We Have Faces because I I need to reread it. And I'm going to listen to your podcast while I do it because I need... I need my hand held. No, I mean for me, honestly, you know, I, I I told you before that Lewis is my first love, and uh, and it will always hold a special place in my heart. And um, you know, it's uh, I do a talk, I do a podcast about Tolkien, so he's he's number he has pride of place, but uh, but Lewis is an incredibly close second. And I kind of the thing that's so wonderful about the two of them is that is their deep friendship and mm-hmm. the, what they meant to each other over the course of their lives. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I I read Lewis before I picked up Tolkien. I mean, and, I had read a lot of Lewis before. And on that note, David, you uh, you need to come on our podcast soon, and we need to talk about Mythopoeia with you. So Deal. We're going to do it here soon. Be awesome. So yeah, <laughs> something to look. We need to do to. more. We just need to do more interviews on our podcast. We've done Ooh, some. We need to do. We need to do more. We do. You've, we, you've I feel like we talk me. about it so all the time. Fun. But yeah. We need to do it. Yeah. I just find that they're a wonderful way of talking to people that I want to talk to anyway, but -hmm. it would just be awkward if I just said, hey, do you want to talk to me for an hour and I'll record it? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. In fact, not 
not too long ago, we had one of our listeners reach out um, about playing uh, Lord of the Rings Trivial Pursuit over Zoom with oh, yes. uh, with their family. And so we yeah. did that a couple weeks ago and that was so fun. Was, I mean, it, it was, was really, fun. really fun. Um, you know, I kind of thought this is going to be, but I mean, they had, it was, it was great. It was if, really, really If great. we have to go through a pandemic together as a society, it's, we live in an incredible time to do it, to be able to be connected with just people from all over the world that share similar interests and things and, you know, just make it so easy just to hop on something like this and do it. It's a real blessing. It really is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. This has been great. Well, thank you for coming yeah. on the show. Uh, to wrap yeah. up, can you just tell listeners where they can go and find out more about you and listen to your podcast? Sure. So the main base is TolkienRoad.com. And uh, we are on Facebook under Tolkien Road Podcast. And um, I also mentioned the YouTube channel for uh, Tolkien Road Podcast, which is beginning to grow and take on a life of its own. And then um, the books are TolkiensOverture.com and TolkiensRequiem.com. Wonderful. And I'll put links to all of those in the show notes. And to begin wrapping up, I want to thank our guests again and our Patreon supporters, particularly our top tier supporters of John, Kate and Rowdy. And I would like to close with a haiku. Very appropriate. Tolkien and Lewis, lovers of myth and legend, a great fellowship. Yeah, Amen. You have a knack for these haikus, David. This is, I mean, it well was done. season two training and listening to you guys for years beforehand. <laughs> we 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 need to get back on it. I think with our haiku. I think we do. We yeah. kind of dropped the ball. Well, I think we were doing some things there for a while that didn't very well lend themselves to haiku. Everything lends itself to haiku, though. David's reminded us of that. That's true. <laughs> That's true. We just got to think outside the box. I yeah. completely agree. In fact, uh, my suggestion is next time one of you has a birthday and you have friends over, say no gifts, or you can say gifts as well if you want this. Uh, but I, I had a friend who said, okay, no gifts, but you all have to write me a haiku and read it at dinner. I love nice. that idea. Yeah. Mm. That's fantastic. Oh. That's really fantastic. That might be a uh, plan for the kids and Mother's Day for you tomorrow. <laughs> there we go. You know, Wonderful. Brilliant. Kids, I would get on board with that. If you ever listen to this years later, you are welcome. <laughs> See, you know, when when you bring Tolkien and Lewis and even Tolkien and Lewis fans together, you get incredible you get incredible ideas. Great and your stuff. children have jobs to do. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly Amen. right. But it's a fun job. That's right. So it'll be good. Yeah. So we just have to convince them of that. Yeah, just so. convince them that it's, no, this is not English homework. This is this is a fun project. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, please come back next week when I'll be speaking to Caitlin from Tea with Tolkien. And we'll be talking about Hobbit spirituality. And then we'll be going further up. And further in. Cheers. 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 Cheers.